Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. This is my lovely host right here. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? You look very pretty in that dress. I'm still in my work clothes from today. We're recording this on Thursday evening, November 16th. This episode should be posted by November 19th. And I'm still in my work clothes, and it's 7 o'clock in the night. I just want to get out my work clothes already. You should have done that when you first got home. I'm just First saying, of all, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm this not... is our second time recording this intro because our computer, well, it's not my computer, but your laptop is gone to shit. And every time we kept talking, we had to pause because the program kept skipping. There was glitches. It wasn't recording everything we were saying. Plus, I didn't like the way we were talking that original <coughs> intro. It's okay. That's so, why That's why we had to do a redo. Right. And I'm, I'm glad we did because I just feel like we were just kind of rambling on when really we should just focus on doing what we're doing, what we're supposed to talk about today. Well, I do want to say we weren't prepared last week for an episode, which is why we didn't have an episode ready last Sunday. We are going to do another review today. And then next week is going to be our last episode of the season. And I'm going to let Colin choose. And he has already informed me that he's planning on choosing a holiday-themed horror movie to review. Because, I mean, this next episode will be my last episode. So I want to leave off with something really nice, but yet also fucking gory for you guys. (laughs) And I want to do something... That would be cool. So I thought a holiday movie would be great and it'd be something that I would do to say goodbye. Right. You know, it's kind of my my way of sending off a a nice friendly goodbye or a tear in the eye or a smile on the face and know that I am going to be leaving. Right. And I'm excited too because you're going to be doing the research and I'm not. All right. Yeah. This will be your homework assignment and I want to And it's going to be any movie of my choice of my choice and you have to sit down and watch with me to examine this too. Right. So I can have my own notes. Yes. So, but don't copy my notes. I'm not going to copy your notes. Yeah. As long as your notes are cohesive and have a flow to it like mine. What? I just don't want to do any rambling like we did back in the day. Well, don't worry. We're not going to because we have evolved as hosts, hopefully. Yep. So, but honestly, speaking of talking about our projects or whatever like that, mm-hmm. let's talk about the movie that we're talking about today. Well, hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm not there yet because Damn. first of all, there's something that we have to address that we didn't get to address earlier because we took our little break, right? So, about two weeks ago, after the release of our latest episode, which I believe was the Witch Review, or Re-Review, the SAG After Strike <coughs> ended, I believe, November 10th or 12th? It was two weeks ago. Yeah, it was about two weeks ago. Yeah. But it's finally over. The AMPTP negotiators came to the table and proposed to them their negotiations, their offers. Uh, SAG After representatives looked it over and... They weren't quite on board yet. They didn't like the way the negotiators were wording about the AI aspect of their deal. They said it just doesn't seem like you're taking it off the table. Like it's a little bit like up in the air for AMPTB when it comes to the usage of AI technology to replace actors. So AMPTP took their offer back. They redrew it up. They took AI completely off the deal and they... Came back with their counterproposals. SAG after was completely okay with it, and they were able to end the strike. No. So negotiations are still 
being drawn out. But as far as we know, the public, the strikes are over. Writers and actors got what they wanted on both ends, and that's great. So this means for us, the content creators, the audiences who review <laughs> movies, we get to now go back to reviewing struck work. Yep, and we can now have them go back to work so we can enjoy new content and right. new seasons and new movies. Right. So with that being said, I know Colin is picking next week's movie, so whether it's a struck or non-struck uh, work, is not my decision, but going into the next season, which probably won't be till <coughs> earlier mid-February of next year, I will hold off on doing any struck content until then. But for the time being, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at the Abby Normal Podcast user handle. And even though I'm going to be taking a two-month break from the show, there's still going to be some things I'm going to plan on doing in the meantime. I'll probably do more live streams on the social media programs and have a bunch of other stuff planned out. I'm going to be using this time to reach out to people to get guest hosts on the show. Because for the most part, it's most likely going to be just me doing reviews. But I would like to have more guest hosts to talk about other things like projects, other things that are coming out. More guest host reviews are fun. And yeah, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. I also want to do more book reviews mm -hmm. because you and I have been reading books together and I want to know one thing. We've been reading together. You've been reading to me. Well, that's the thing. See, this is the thing about me and Colin. I like to visually and actively read books. Colin likes to listen to audiobooks and that's fine. Everybody takes in the worded press differently and that's totally fine. I just want to know... How do you feel about this little arrangement we've got going on for ourselves? Me reading to you. I mean, it's nice. I mean, you're no Nor Morgan Freeman, but, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's still good that you could read to me. Do you like it, though? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of my mom used to read to me when I was a baby. Wow. Mommy. Wow. Yeah, make me feel more like your mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> make me feel more like your mom, why don't you? Anyway. You know what? I will. No, just kidding. But so uh. far, I've read to you two books going on yeah. three now. I do enjoy you, say, uh, enjoy you sitting with me and reading the book, mm -hmm. reading, reading these books, and just... Listening to you is just really nice. Yeah. You know, it's kind of nice. It's just like, there's like a fireplace, like a glass of milk, and some cookies. Mm -hmm. And I could just sit there and just listen to you read all night. If that was the case, I would totally do that. Yeah. I know I can never make the choice of a book for you to read to me because I don't have that choice. You won't let me pick the book out. Well, here's but, the thing. But I wish. Okay. I wish. You could read me a Christmas book. I don't want to read a Christmas book. What if I'm it's sorry, a scary like, Christmas book? Actually, I do have a scary Christmas book. Yes, you do. I knew yeah. that. Yes. I was going to say, would you want me to read that next yeah. after we read Clown this, the Cornfield Part 2? Yeah, this one's going to take forever. So can we skip this one? What do you mean skip this one? Skip this book and go to that one. No. Oh, come on. First of all... <laughs> So, this is the thing. So, when we started doing this, I started reading to him Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill. And how did you feel about that? I know I didn't read it all to you because at some point you got bored with it and just mm, lost interest. I wasn't a big fan of it. Yeah, so I just started reading the rest myself. Joe Hill sucks. Here's the thing. And his, that's another thing I'm going to His dad is better. He thinks he's his dad. He, 
He's not. He's, when, no, well, not his I, dad. He tries to be different, but when really, he's still like his dad. So when I read, and I like, here's the thing. I'm all for like we do, like we do with the podcast. Like I always say on the podcast, if you're going to watch something, you know, keep an open mind about it. If you're going to watch something, so you can have your own opinion about it, so it's not just like, oh, I didn't watch it because I didn't like it. That that's not <coughs> really. I don't want to say that's a good opinion. But that's really not an opinion because you haven't really taken the time to watch it. Like, whether you're basing your opinion just off of the trailer. Because trailers could always ruin things for you, but they could also surprise you in different ways, too. Mm. So, I'm all for give something a chance once. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it or read it again. Which is what I'm going to do with Heart Shape Box. It's not my favorite. And honestly, if I'm going to review books in the next season... I'm only going to review books that I actually like and not books that I absolutely do not like. I'm going to critique where critique is needed, but I do, I am going to say right up front, I'm not going to review books that I do not like. You know, it's funny. Because I don't want to be that type of person that just shits all over a book. What? You know, it'd be funny you call it. What? You know, critique. Yeah. Cryptique. Cryptique? Ooh, that's a, you Cryptique. know what? That's a fun drag name. Cryptique. Oh my Cryptique. god. Cryptique. I like that so much. Speaking of drag name, we're going to talk about Dragula. You know okay. what? I'm No, we're not because we should talk about the movie. Well, can I go into Dragula a little bit? I won't take too long, I promise. I'll give you... You're going to take 10 minutes. We're already like 11 and a half minutes in, so I'll take two minutes. <laughs> okay? All right. I'm so, counting right so, now. Season five of Dragula started the week of Halloween. I was super, super excited for it because we haven't had a Dragula season since Titans, I believe, a year ago. And as some of you know, I started binge watching all of Dragula earlier this year, and I was very, very happy with it. I was really looking forward to this season, especially when they announced the new drag performers on their Instagram page. So I was really, really, really looking forward to this one. Attack of the Dragula Titans. So we had kind of talked about it a little bit a few months ago when they announced the drag performers. And the thing is, too, is like I call them drag performers because I know there's drag queens and drag kings. A lot of them do identify as non-binary. And I want to make sure that I'm being respectful. So I'm going to go. I'm going to address them as drag performers because drag is a performance art. And in most categories, it is a visual art. It is an art form in of itself. So the person who performs in drag is a person, they're a performer. So I'm going to refer to them as drag performers. But I'm so happy with them so far because there's a lot of really cool, interesting styles that each of them bring to their drag and to the competitions. So I'm really excited with this one. And the first week challenge was Terror in the Woods and our two guest judges were director Mike Flanagan, who's my favorite director right now, and Felissa Rose, who was in Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very good choices of guest judges. I thought the costumes were really cool. And one of the performers, JK, got exterminated that first week, but they brought them back and they were able to compete again in week two which was, oh, what was it? Trash Can Children, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trash Can Children was the challenge for week two. Which is basically a ripoff of the Garbage Pal Kids. Yeah. Yeah, that was the gist. They had to 
incorporate their drag persona or their drag look in the form of like a trash can children or a garbage pail kid look. And I thought that each of them brought something really unique and a little bit different. I mean, JK and Jarvis Hammer kind of both had the same mindset where they were kind of like two characters who had like a masturbation thing going on. And I'm like... That shit was weird. There always is moments like this where you have a challenge and two or more performers have the same idea in mind. It's all about how they execute it, though. Because <coughs> in the first week in Terror in the Woods, JK and Blackberry both kind of had this same, like, camper marshmallowy type of concept in mind. Mm-hmm. Blackberry performed it and executed it better than JK. And I kind of like JK's look a little bit more because they, they had, like, a Especially sticky... Especially with the marshmallows yeah, that were sticking out. Yeah, the stickiness of the skin and the outfit and the marshmallows. I thought those were really creative. And I was kind of sad that they didn't make it through but again they came back i think they redeemed themselves a little bit better this time around with um trash can children with the masturbation one a little bit better than jarvis hammer obviously jarvis hammer kind of looked like a super sperm persona i don't know i don't like it that's just gross anyway but this week was this is week three sorry i know i'm a little over a few minutes i'm sorry you said two minutes but but here's the theory here's the thing so Throb Zombie won last week's Trash Can Children Challenge. And then this week was the Haunted Hotel Challenge. And I thought the performances were so good. Because not only did they have to incorporate a haunted hotel (laughs) guest worker employee sort of like performance or like a concept. But they had to do a lip sync performance to an old 1930s song about... Uh, at the Devil's Ball, I think that was the name of the song. It's like yeah. a very old, tiny, jazzy number. And I thought the performances were so good. But my favorite was Throb Zombies. He, They didn't win this week's challenge. I believe JK won this week, which is a huge turnaround from how they were the past two weeks. But I thought JK and Throb did a really good job. And Throb's look was so fucking hot. And I said it in the comments of the Boulay Brothers video of this on their Instagram, but if I were in a hotel lobby and I saw Throb Zombie strut through the hotel lobby in the way they presented, I would swoon so fast. They were so handsome and I loved it. And again, the, the, the guest judges are so cool because in week two, we had Matthew Lillard and Landon Sider, who was season three of Dragula <laughs> winner. And then they brought him back. For another week of judging. So I was very happy. And I can't wait for next week, too, to see what's going to happen. I'm but happy for you. As I was say, you've watched some of them with me. What do you think about Dragula? It's entertaining. I know it's your favorite, but mm-hmm. it's not really my favorite. I know it's not your kind of show, but... Yeah. But, I mean, it is interesting. It's just... It's RuPaul's Drag Race, but spooky version yeah it's a horror version of rupaul's drag race that's why i love it it's like if rupaul made a halloween show but that's what i love about it and that's okay no that's good i'm not saying anything bad i know but it's like it's it is very much like a pageant show there's a lot of pageantry in drag performers and that's a very sick pageant show because a lot of the things that they had to do in that because there's three tenants when it comes to dragula so each performer has to bring a concept of filth glamour and horror into their drag when they're doing these competitions and whoever is the strongest (laughs) 
by the end of the season is crowned the drag super monster in the world of Dragula. Mm-hmm. And they get to go on tour with the Boulet brothers and they get to do all these like pub- publicity events. It's it's a whole thing, but it's like really cool. Yeah. And I love it. It's just really cool. So. But that's all I have to say about Dragula. I'm sorry it went over a little bit more than usual. Six minutes. I'm so passionate about this show. I'm so happy that... Well, that's why you should make an episode of it in the future. I do want to do an episode, but I feel like I need... Again, it's it's just one of those things where if I don't have somebody to talk about it with, it's just going to be me rambling and gushing over how much I love this show. You sound like that Limp Bizkit song. It's just one of those days. (laughs) (laughs) It it is just one of those days. But anyway, speaking of that, we should talk about... Yes. We will get into the movie review. I'm not, I don't mean to sound so depressed, but I. You need to calm down. It's been two weeks since we've been on the podcast, and I feel like there's so much I want to say before we get into the review. But whatever I don't get into now, I'm sure I'll remember by the end of the episode, and we can recap before we sign off. So this week, we're going to be talking about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yes. I know you and I have talked about it a little bit. (laughs) I know. You know, it's funny, as I was a kid, I never thought there would be a Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Because, you know, when you're a kid, that's never in your mindset. That's never in your head. Like, what if they come out with a slasher film of Winnie the Pooh? Well, there is a reason for that. And I will get into it when I get into my notes. But, yeah, I I always find it so interesting when they do a rendition of some kind involving a children's movie... Only make it more adult, make it more gory, make it more scary. And I think they did the same thing with the Grinch recently, didn't they? You're a mean one. Yeah. Did they Did they really make it into a movie? Yeah, it's actually check, a movie. Check for me. because I'm going to see if it's on here. And, I, and if it is, I'm going to watch it and I review know, it. Because I know there were so many teaser trailers about it earlier this year. And I don't know if they actually made it into a movie or if it's just some spoof thing that people were just... Sharing around the Let internet. Let me check. Is it an actual movie? Colin's checking for us, so let's see. Oh. Release the mean the mean one was released theatrically in the United States on December 9th, twenty twenty two. Okay, so it's almost a year old. So this is an actual movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if this is an actual movie again, it's just one of those things where they take a children's concept of a story and they <laughs> horrify it. Yeah, so basically, you can find it on YouTube, Google Play, um, Amazon Prime, and, and Vudu. Yeah, three of them are for four ninety nine, and one is for five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So I might have to buy one of them. I'm just kidding. I know there's so many also that I have to watch that I might have to rent online. But anyway, <laughs> so we're gonna go over Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Is there anything you want to say before I get into the notes? No, I think we pretty much said everything. Yeah, because la- I think one of the last times we talked about this movie was when we went over that article about the teacher who accidentally played, what, the first 20 minutes of that movie? Yeah, and actually um, thought it was Winnie the Pooh, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, that and after was, watching that was it... fun. After watching it, I'm still not 100% <laughs> sure how how they could have gotten that far into the movie and not know was not a ch- like a children's movie. Exactly. So Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was released on January 26th of 2023, so this was earlier in the year. It has a runtime of an hour and 24 minutes and was written and directed by Reese Frake Waterfield. 
and it was produced by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios and distributed by Altitude Films Distributions. And this whole movie was initially shot in just eight days because there's a couple of scenes where it's partially animation and are mostly live action. So production of the film became possible in 2022 after A.A. Milne's novel Winnie the Pooh, which was published in 1926, had entered the public domain in the U.S., which marked the first appearance of Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, and Christopher Robin, thus lapsing the characters into the public domain. The film's characters could not, however, resemble the Disney versions, who debuted in 1966 and are protected by copyright. So that's part of the reason why it's taken them this long to make this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Disney doesn't want to do anything horrifying with Poop Winnie the Pooh. Disney does not want to associate with themselves with anything that's off-brand for them. Like, they don't want to endorse anything that's too adult, too graphic, too violent, too gory, too, you but, know, but not again, Disney. But then again, have you ever seen films like Return to Oz or Something Wicked This Way Comes? See, I think that's another thing, too, because you're you're talking about movies that are very, I don't want to say very old, but they're older in their release date, where, yes, there were some things they could get away with back then, because that was released, what, in the 80s? 1985. Right. So, back then, movies that were made <coughs> had a little bit more leeway when it came to production studios like Disney. There were some things they were able to get away with, Yeah. but as long as it was not too gory or too graphic... <laughs> They had no problem making stuff like that. I mean, I know, like, the Wheelers is one of the things that really freaks the kids out when they watch that movie. And then, like, I think the Queen, right? Yes. And there are scenes of blood in Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, but it wasn't gory, right? I've never seen that movie. No. Yeah, so that's the thing. If it's not too, like, adult, and if it passes a certain rating scale... Which is the most common one we all know. I I think I don't want to say it's the Hayes Code, but it's like a a national rating scale that helps it so that movies can get passed and distributed in theaters. Mm-hmm. Because if there's something there, if there's something that's too adult, it's not going to get into theaters. But while the copyright for Winnie the Pooh lapsed in the U.S. in 2022, the copyright will stay in place in Europe until 2027. 70 years after the death of A.A. Milne, which makes it very hard to legally distribute this film in European countries. So in the U.S. and in other parts of non-European countries, they do have the pleasure of watching this movie if they can. Unfortunately, it's just not available for European countries and theaters, which is interesting. I didn't know that. But the movie stars Craig David Dowsett as, Will- as Winnie the Pooh, Nikolai Leon is Christopher Robin. Maria Taylor as Maria. I don't know why they didn't think of better names for these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha Rose Mills as Jessica. Amber Doig Thorne as Alice. And Danielle Ronald as Zoe. So yeah, it's a very small cast. It's a very low budget movie. Clearly there's some parts, like I said earlier, there's some parts that are animation and cartoon. And there's some parts that are, well, the movie is mostly in live action but in some scenes they do have a combination of practical effects and cgi effects yeah which you notice right Mm Mm-hmm. okay yeah especially the blood in there the it's Mm -hmm. so fake what did you think of marketing for this movie the marketing i how did they do the marketing for this movie it was publicly advertised through trailers 
I mean, I saw them around social media, YouTube, like ad revenue. Because I didn't see too much of that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I know other people did, but I didn't really look for it. That was my thing. I think some streaming services, because I know like with us, we have Peacock and Paramount and they do like ads every now and then. So I think sometimes they advertise it through those. At least that's what I remember seeing. Mm -hmm. But I think that for the most part, the marketing was, I don't know, pretty interesting. And I say it not loosely because when this movie... I actually thought it was fake, honestly, this movie. See, that's what I was going to say, too, because when we see the trailers, like when I first saw the trailers online, I'm like, there's no way this can be real. I'm like, this has to be some fan-made trailer that someone just put together in a weird way. And then when I actually heard that it was actually going to be a movie and that was the trailer, I was like, whoa. That's I did not expect that. Like, so that's yeah. an odd choice to make a movie. But again, that's a choice. So <coughs> I, I thought the marketing was pretty odd, but it was effective. I mean, a lot of people were intrigued once they realized this was actually going to be a thing. I mean, could you imagine Blue's Clues being an actual crime mystery movie? You know... A crime mystery movie? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm going to say, if you were to go down the direction of horror mystery... No. I mean... Not horror mystery, but like like Blue's Clues being like a crime mystery. Like Sherlock Holmes, see, but in Blue's Clues form. See, now I could get down with that one. With that idea. Because I, I loved Blue's Clues when I was a kid. And Me I, too. I loved Steve... Wasn't a big fan of Joe, and I don't even know about the new guy that they have right now. But I th- I love Blue's Clues, and I think that that you know there's there's always these little nuggets of things from our childhood that kind of shape us into the adults we are today. Like I th- I feel like it's because of Blue's Clues why I love crime and mystery stories. Oh my God. I I could say that. Well, with me growing up watching like spooky cartoons or whatever stuff like that it was a reason why i got into more spookier things growing up yeah but you still like the cutesy spooky stuff yeah but i could still like the r-rated stuff too you know all right so yeah i mean how'd you feel about this one i mean what this yeah i mean i, don't know. I you know believe it or not i actually was more of a fan of uh five nights of freddy than this movie yeah, because this movie is technically not rated. This movie sucks. I mean, no, I mean, not <laughs> sucks. I mean, I don't know. I get the premise and I get what they were doing. I just thought it was just very unpredict- very predictable. Yeah, it's it's not rated and it has a 2.9 out of 10 stars on IMDb. I just wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, if anything, if I watch You're the Mean One, the Grinch movie, mm-hmm. I probably would like that better, probably. It is relatively short, though. Like I said, at a runtime of an hour and 24 minutes, it wasn't that long. But that's usually a typical hour and a half type of movie. Yeah, and I also feel, too, because of because of the things that was going on, there was a lot of things that weren't exactly elaborated that I felt like kind of needed elaboration a little bit. Yeah, you know? but I did like, I will say, I did like the animation, what they were doing with it. The animation was interesting. Well, there are only two scenes that had animated cartoons into it, and it was the the, the prologue, the prologue in the beginning, and after the opening scene uh, when they kill Christopher Robin's fiance or wife, and they dragged him. Yeah, and they took him away. And I want to get into those when we get into those parts in the plot, but I think that, and I also wrote my notes a little bit differently because sometimes. Um, 
sometimes when we watch movies, I mean, I don't take notes as I watch them. I just sort of like remember and think back on them when I'm rewriting the plot. And I decided to highlight highlight notes that were my own thoughts in red and then highlight fun facts in orange. Mm. So I do want to get into those because some there's a lot of parts of this movie that didn't quite make sense to me. And again, I'm going to hold all of my overall thoughts for the end because there's just, there was a lot of things about this movie that were both good and bad. Do you want to get into the plot? Or uh, is there anything more you want to say about Go into the in? plot. To get into our plot, the introduction of the film narrates the story of a young boy, Christopher Robin, who met and befriended a group of anthropomorphic beings named Owl, Rabbit, Eeyore, Piglet, Tigger, and Winnie the Pooh. The creatures reside in the 100-acre wood where Christopher Robin would meet them every day to play and eat food. As Christopher reaches adulthood, he left his friends behind to attend college. Without him around to feed them, Winnie the Pooh and the others went into starvation. Acting on survival, the group decided to kill and eat Eeyore, which developed a hatred for humans. They made a pact to return to their feral instincts and never speak again. So Tigger was originally going to be in this film, but he wasn't shown due to the copyright of Disney. Because I don't know if you remember, Disney put out a bunch of different stuff about like Winnie the Pooh. They had like the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which was a TV show. Mm -hmm. And then they had Winnie the Pooh and all these variations of Winnie the Pooh stories. And then they had Winnie the Pooh, the Tigger movie, where it was just Tigger's own little adventure, finding out who he was. Right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of the reason why they didn't include him in the movie. But also, like, we don't see Rabbit or Owl either. Yeah, but... Which is my thought I written down here. Throughout the movie, we don't see mm -hmm. the other characters of the Hundred Acre Woods. What if they release a sequel and then they come, come into that? We're going to get to that at the end. Hold on. <laughs> Stop being but, weird. But what do you think so far? Because this is the intro that we get. And like I said, it's all animated, right? Yeah, I mean, it's and good so far. I mean, it's interesting how they're trying to do the origin story this way. Yeah. You know, and even though, like, I've seen the pictures of what they look like, and they still look terrifying looking. Right. Yes. And that's the thing, too. It's it's still told in a way that's almost like telling a childhood story, but then it gets really dark after that first, like, five minutes. They kind of look like Wendigos when they got really scared. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing that also throws me off, too. So, they imply in the narration that they killed an e Eeyore. They cannibalized him. Mm -hmm. And then, by the end of the intro, we see four of them. So, it's Winnie the Pooh, Piglet rabbit and owl standing mm. around what looks like eeyore's grave with his tail attached to the cross post so basically i think what they did was they ate him yes but they kept his bones uh-huh and buried his bones into the thing yeah mm. that's how i would mm. imagine it yes but there's something else that happens too that his tail well, that and there's another part I'm going to get into, but they kind of contradict this a little bit. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm doubting that they ate Eeyore. They definitely ate him. But I think that what they do with his body is all over the place. Like, that narrative is all over the place, and I don't even know what the fuck they did to his body, and I don't even want to know. But anyway, now an adult, Christopher Robin returns to the 100-acre wood, accompanied by his wife, Mary. 
but finds the treehouse and campground seemingly abandoned and disarrayed. The two are attacked by Piglet, who strangles Mary to death with a chain. Pooh and Piglet then abduct Christopher and take him into the woods. They show him Eeyore's skeleton and burn Mary's body. That's the part I don't understand. Because when Christopher Robin and Mary enter the campground, first of all, it's almost like a glamping situation. Because you have three of these, like, tin metal campers, and then you have the treehouse, right? That looks like this whole-ass cabin, like, in a tree. Mm-hmm. You can see, like, in the almost background of this campground, a little grave that says R.I.P. Eeyore on it, right? So if that's where Eeyore is buried, why are we seeing this animation of them showing Christopher Eeyore's skeleton? Maybe they didn't think of that part. That doesn't make any sense. Or, I don't know, maybe it's a... Maybe the bones are not really in there. Maybe it's a setup. But why? I mean... Well, these animals are not smart, honey. I mean, I get the symbolism. Because, like I said, these are are essentially anthropomorphic beings. Meaning, yes, they are animals, but they also act and have human characteristics. Right? Mm -hmm. So they talk, and they walk on their hind legs, and they interact like humans would. Right? So I get the meaning of wanting to have a grave marker for Eeyore for the human side of themselves. But if they're reverting back to their natural instincts and behaving more animalistically, that's why I don't get the fact that they still wear clothes. I don't get the fact that they leave a marker for Eeyore. I don't know. There's just some things about it that kind of contradict itself. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But they stated in the prologue that Eeyore was cannibalized, and we see at the campground a grave marker for Eeyore, but there's a skeleton, and his tail is shown later on. So what did they really do to his body? That's the part I don't understand. But the piglet and poo masks were products made by the American Prosthetic Mask Manufacturing Company, Immortal Masks. The Frendo Honey Bear for Winnie the Pooh, and the Hog Silicone Mask for Piglet. I think the fact that it's called the Frendo Honey Bear Mask is interesting because we, one of the books I read to you recently is Clown in the Cornfield. His name is Frendo. Yeah, the clown that they talk about in the book is called Frendo. And we're starting to read the second one too. Yeah, he's like a mascot of like this town. Yeah, he's the mascot for the fiction. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's fictional. I don't know why that they have a clown mascot for their little town. That's a fucking sick, weird town. Well, because in the book, and I don't mean to derail, but I'll get back into the movie a little bit. So in the book, Clown in the Cornfield, they kind of focus on this town called Kettle Springs, Missouri. And Kettle Springs, back in the day, used to be the hometown for what was the Bay Pen Corn Syrup Manufacturing Company. And it was their... It was the nation's primary corn syrup distribution company, and their mascot was Frendo the Clown. And this factory provided a lot of jobs and economic growth for this town back in the day, like the 1950s and 60s. But then the factory shut down, and then one of the characters in the book, who was a teenage boy, caused a fire in that factory, which kind of ruined everybody's chances of hoping to get the factory back up and running to, again, provide more jobs and provide economic 
growth and stability, but Frendo still remained this like hopeful figure in their town that Bay Pen will once again reopen and provide jobs for all the people of Kettle Springs. I like the book a lot. I'm I'm very excited to get in the part two, but I just wanted to tell that to Colin and to our listeners who may be interested in reading horror novels, but Anyway, what do you think about the mask, though? I think it's interesting. I thought they actually made that from scratch. Yeah. Did they or no? No, they, these are bought from an American <coughs> company called Immortal <coughs> Masks. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. I thought they would make them for them for the film, but I guess not. No, but I think they're cool. I mean, I, I do want to say, like, this. You know, this is a very, very low-budget movie. I think it was shot and produced with... What, $100,000? Yeah, it's 100000 yeah. Almost the same price as uh, John Carpenter made for Halloween. Right. And it did do successfully at the box office. So for what it was, it did successful. But you can very much tell this is a low-budget movie. Mm-hmm. I think that the way the masks look are not only... They are eerie. They are eerie looking, especially in the context of this film. But they also use a little bit of CGI to manipulate the facial features and the movements because there there are moments in the movie where you see uh, Winnie the Pooh's like smile get a little bit more broader and bigger and his eyes get a little bit more like menacing looking. It is creepy. Yeah, but it, I think it's really, really effective. Yeah. So I will give the movie that. The use of the masks are really great. Exactly. Uh, so to get back into the plot. Sometime later, a group of girlfriends, Maria, Jessica, Alice, Zoe, and Lara, or Lara, or Laura, I can't pronounce, I don't know. Lara. Lara. Rent a cabin in the 100-acre wood for a retreat so Maria can overcome her traumatic stalking experience. (laughs) What? Why are you laughing? I'm actually laughing because that Airbnb in the 100-acre woods... Who the fuck lives there? Is it? I wonder if it's the creatures that have that house well, and they're kind of like renting it out for people so they can kill them. See, here's the thing. And I don't know if you're aware about Airbnbs. Airbnbs are like, yes, they're essentially hotels that people own, like private citizens own, that they rent out to people to like go on vacations and trips. We did an Airbnb once with some friends when we went to the Thousand Islands, and right? And I did another one too with... Um, Actually, a, a few more, too. But I did one in Philly also last year with my buddies. Yes, but it is essentially like a hotel. You're Pretty just much. you're You're renting somebody's space for a certain amount of time, and you're treating it like a hotel. You have a check-in time. You have a check-out time. You have a keypad that you use to get in and out, and you're essentially not exactly staying with people. You're just renting their space for a short period of time. Yeah. So it's not that anybody really lives there. It's just that somebody owns a cabin out here that they're just renting out as an Airbnb. Hmm. It's very odd. So, But they go out there so Maria can overcome this traumatic stalking experience, and she kind of reveals this little backstory about how she had noticed some small things like Footprints outside of her house, you know, her gate were being, her back door gate was being left open. Uh, but then it got it to, you know, a little bit more creepy stuff, you know, like obscene phone calls. Somebody, she felt like somebody was following her and watching her, which as a woman can be a very scary thing. Mm. And I, I like that when, I mean, I don't like it, but when movies highlight those everyday fears that, people and everyday people can experience it kind of helps 
I think some audiences relate to the character a little bit and maybe empathize with the character. Like if you really do understand the fear that she went through at the time. Because this guy not only stalks her, he gets into her house while she's sleeping and tries to undress her, which is all kinds of no. And although they arrest the guy, they find out that he had been stalking her for years. So that makes her even more upset and paranoid about the the world around her, which can, much, yeah. it can happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very interesting story arc for Maria's character. <clears throat> Another friend, Tina, gets lost on her way. Pooh chases her through the woods and into a sawmill where he throws her into a running wood chipper. Ah, uh, I remember that. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Eh, yeah. Kinda. We'll get into why. Anyway, back at the treehouse, Pooh, who has taken Christopher hostage, reflects on their childhood and emotionally breaks down, leading Pooh to brutally whip Christopher with Eeyore's tail and dousing him in Mary's blood. So this is what I don't understand. First of all, Tina gets out of her car when she gets lost. She pulls over. She gets out of her car to call, which I guess makes sense if you have shitty reception. You want to try to get out of whatever confined space you're in to try to get better service. But how she ends up in the woods is lost to me. Like you were you were at your car, you were on a road, and then cut to you're somehow deep in the woods still trying to find cell service. And you just happen to be nearby the sawmill when you see Winnie the Pooh? Like, that makes no sense. But Pooh smashes Tina's face into the lip of the wood chipper bin. But not before removing her shirt? Question mark? Did you catch that part? Yeah, that was weird. So Tina runs into the sawmill barn to try to hide from him. He does eventually find her. He grabs her by the hair and she's trying to, like for lack of a better word, claw at him to get him to let her go. Mm. And he, for some reason, rips her shirt off. Like, do we need that? Mm. I mean, I don't think it's going to get in the way of her getting caught in the wood chipper. No, I guess, I don't know. I guess he wanted to do that. It it just seems so unnecessary. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 And the wood chipper rains CGI blood. Which, I don't like that they do CGI for it. For the blood. I get the reasoning for it sometimes. But I feel budget. like Yeah, for budget. I mean CGI as opposed to practical is a little bit more cheaper. It just doesn't look realistic. It's a lot more glossier. And in a place like a barn, like a sawmill barn, it just seems really out of place to use CGI blood when you could have had the resources to use practical blood or at least thrown something like paint or practical blood into the wood chipper but again I, I don't know i'm not a director i'm not a movie maker i i probably don't know what i'm talking about but honey you're fine <laughs> but later that night Pooh and piglet attack lara and drive tina's car over her head piglet enters the cabin and kills zoe with a sledgehammer maria and jessica watch the duo take alice away and decide to follow them and rescue her in the treehouse the trio find and free christopher who informs them of another hostage, Charlene. This all happens so fast, right? Lara's out in the jacuzzi. You know, she's taking pictures, which, by the way, when they first arrive at the cabin, Jessica establishes that this is to be a screen-free vacation, meaning no cell phones, no tablets, no iPads, no nothing. I guess one of them didn't, didn't care. Lara did not give a flying fuck. She wants and needs her phone, and she doesn't care 
She, she's just that kind of girl. Because we see her in her room, getting ready, playing music, taking selfies, putting on makeup. Which, I don't get why you would have to put on makeup if you're going out into the jacuzzi. Yeah, plus you're out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, like, who's going to see you? But I'm guessing that Lara is probably, like, a, a, a social media influencer of some kind. She's something. I, that's what it seems like to me. Like, the fact that she can't go a weekend without her phone means either her entire livelihood is through that phone or she's what do you call it a screen junkie she just has to have her phone so she can stay in touch with whoever and everyone i don't know pretty much she's got her phone she's in her room getting ready to go out into the jacuzzi and she's taking selfies and it's when she takes selfies she noticed that Pooh is like standing a good distance away behind the garage watching her and she's, like, fr- weirded out by that shit. Mm-hmm. And then they, like I said, they get the jump on her, Pooh and Piglet, and they hog tie her in the driveway, and they run her head over with a, with the car. Which is Tina's car, the girl that they killed in the sawmill. Which, by the way, what did you think of Lara's death? Which one was her death again? She was the girl in the bathing suit out in the... No, I mean, what was her death? She got ran over by the car, remember? They oh, crushed yeah. her head with the tire. Yeah, I remember one of them got hit by a hammer. That was Zoe. Yeah, that shit looked like it hurt. Yeah, so Lara was interesting (laughs) because it was a combination. I feel like it was sort of a combination of practical and CGI. Like, the blood was clearly CGI, but some of it was probably practical, I think. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was very interesting. And then I think it's Maria and Jessica who are out by the dock in the woods, and they hear the screaming, and they run to find... And they're like... Oh, Tina's car is here, but why is the door open? And this is all shot in New Zealand, too. So the, we're in America. Our driver's side is on the left side the of the left car. Left side, they'd be right. Their, their driver's side they'd is be right. on. Yep. Yes. So they're like, why is the door open? And then they go around the car and they see that Laura's body is dead and on the ground. And they're freaking out. And then they go inside with the other two who are Alice and Zoe. And these two are in a lesbian relationship Mm -hmm. and alice seems to be more into this relationship than zoe is because alice plans this elaborate thing in their room where she does the rose petals and the candles and the chocolates and stuff but they they both have a relationship yeah they're in a relationship together but zoe is just not you know well she doesn't seem into it but she also (laughs) tells alice she's like i thought we were gonna wait until we were ready to tell people about us so it's, I don't know if this is like a new relationship that Zoe isn't ready to tell people about yet, but Alice seems very ready to like jump into the we're dating thing and we, I know I want to tell the world about our relationship and that's fine, but you know, if people have to be ready at their own time, you know, you can't just force it. You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to rush people or else it's just, doesn't, doesn't feel like it's meant to be. Right. And that's not to say that Zoe doesn't love Alice. I think she does. But again, I think she's just not ready to like tell people about them, which can be hard, you know, for that other person who's already so comfortable with their sexuality. Like they're very open about, you know, I'm in this relationship with this person that I love. And, you know, the the fact that they're not willing to tell people about it probably makes them feel like they're kind of a secret. So I can I get both sides, but I also get like, you know, your girlfriend does this really nice gesture for you. And if you, if you two are dating, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. But that, 
awkwardness aside from, so they all go down into the lobby and they see the word get out written in blood on the windows. And I think Zoe's the one who deduces that the blood is written on the outside of the windows and not the inside, right? And also it isn't until about five minutes after realizing they're being invaded, Maria remembers she has a gun. Mm. Right? Mm. So, yeah, because Alice and Zoe say, oh, we're going to go and check the back doors and see if we can make a run for it. And it's suddenly when they leave, Maria's like, oh, I just remembered. I have a gun. You couldn't remember that when, like, you first realized that your friends were in danger? Like, you come out to the driveway, you see your other friend's cars there, and you find your other friend dead body on the driveway. Fucking idiot. I would have been like, okay, I'm going to go get my gun. Like, I would have walked into the house, went up to my room, grabbed the gun, and been ready. What but a fucking dummy. It's like I said, the writing doesn't make sense. You know, I feel like they just put these moments in here to say, okay, these girls need to be ready and they need to be armed. Okay, this person remembers they have a gun. Like, five minutes into being aware of this situation? I mean, okay. It's a little shit, but it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's just, there's so many weird things about this because... When they, because like I said, after Piglet kills Zoe with a sledgehammer, they take Alice, they take her back to their campground. They don't kill her right away, but they bound her up in this weird, like, contraption. They don't even know what it's, they don't, they don't, they never divulge what this contraption is for. Just that they know that they use it to subdue people and their victims. And we see Charlene in a similar bounding mechanism. So I don't know exactly what this is for. Christopher informs them of another hostage, Charlene. So they rescue Charlene. They get her out of this contraption. And as they're trying to escape the campground, Charlene gets a glimpse of her face in the in a piece of glass. And she's horrified by how she looks. Because I guess Piglet mauled her face. And now it's all like, lo- looks really beaten up, right? <coughs> yeah. So Charlene attempts to get revenge on Piglet for mutilating her face. She summons Piglet with a gunshot and attempts to kill him. So she gets a hold of Maria's gun and pops a shot in the air to try to lure him back to the campground. However, when he gets within, like, reach of her, she discovers the chamber is empty and Piglet mauls her to death. Mm. Maria and Jessica are chased by Pooh into the woods, but Alice stays behind and bludgeons Piglet with his own sledgehammer. Hearing Piglet's squeals, Pooh returns to the camp and impels Alice with a knife through her open mouth. And I put in my notes, Michael Myers style. Because it's like that scene in the original Michael Myers movie. What's his name? What do you mean? Uh, Linda's boyfriend. What's his name? How did he kill him? He grabbed him by the neck. He lifted him up against the wall. And he took a knife and stabbed him through the chest and just... Left him dangling there. Oh, yeah. Pooh does the same thing with Alice, but it's through her open mouth, but she just sort of suspends there against a tree. Well, it's a nice little tribute. I thought that was interesting. It makes a lot of weird references to other horror movies in here, I feel like. Yeah. And another thing I noticed, too, I mean, I I put it down in my notes later, but you notice how there's bees in this movie? First of all, it reminded me a lot of Candyman, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that Pooh controls the bees did you catch that yeah i actually did that he controls them yeah i did I saw, not know that i saw him walking with them <laughs> yeah well he walks and the peas just sort of hover around and then they fly away but it's later on in this one scene where he commands the bees to swarm and attack this one person 
And I'm like, I didn't know he controlled the bees. It's very Candyman-esque, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. So Maria and Jessica find their way to the road and seek help from a group of local men passing through. They try to get the jump on Pooh, but he brutally kills them all. Maria tries to run him over with the men's truck, pickup truck, but crashes. As Maria comes to, she sees Pooh decapitating Jessica. As Pooh approaches Maria to kill her, Christopher arrives, driving a car and pinning Pooh between the two vehicles. And like I said, Pooh somehow controls the bees, which I didn't know was a thing. But Pooh manages to free himself and holds Maria at knife point. Christopher pleads for Pooh to spare her and promises to stay with him and apologizes. When asked why he is doing this, Pooh breaks his vow of silence and says to Christopher, you left, then slashes Maria's throat. After she dies, Christopher runs away, realizing that his childhood friend is now beyond help. Pooh repeatedly stabs Maria's body, even well after she's dead. So one of the movie's taglines, quote, we'll be friends forever, won't we? It's a line that Piglet invokes in the Winnie the Pooh books when he asks Piglet how long their friendship will last. It also carries a double meaning in the context of the film and its story, as it mainly references Christopher Robin's belief at the start of the film that Pooh and his friends will still see him as their friend after being away for so long, which turns out to be false when they attack him. That, and that Pooh and his friends saw Christopher Robin as their friend and guide only for him to not return to them or send them food during his time away from them, which makes Pooh and Piglet attack them and disown him as their friend, which I thought was very interesting. Pretty much, yeah. <sighs> I feel like in the prologue moment or in like the opening moment where they narrate the backstory of Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, like as soon as he said that as a little boy, Christopher Robin would bring his friends food. I'm like, no, he should not have done that. No. I'm mean, supposed to give him adult food. No, well, no. What? Because when you go camping, what's the one rule that park rangers tell you not you to do? You don't feed the animals. You do not feed wildlife. Whether you're camping or if you live in an area where there are a lot of creatures or critters nearby, you just don't feed wildlife because of reasons like this. Because at the end of the day, these are still wild animals who are basing their entire existence on survival. You know, they're going to find a food source and they're going to keep gravitating to that food source until the day they die. So... When Christopher Robin meets these creatures and he sees them as their friends, they see him as a food source. Because he's somebody who comes and visits them and gives them food and gives them a lot of love and attention. Not really fully realizing what this means to them as beings, but as animals, they understand what this means. And when Christopher Robin goes away forever, or not forever, but if he, when he leaves for college and doesn't come back to give them food... They're kind of left defenseless. And that's why there are just some animals that you cannot domesticate. Because once you release them out into the wild, they don't know how to fend for themselves. Right? Yeah. Right. So that's why you that's why they say don't don't interact with the animals. Do not pet them, do not touch them, do not feed them. Don't try to make a connection with them because they will either latch on and it will be very hard to shake off. Or they will try to see you as a food source and then attack if you do not give them food. So that's why I feel like this is a very 
almost real situation of what would happen if a person tried to befriend wild animals in a almost like a childhood setting like this in a weird way. And remember how you asked if there was a sequel? There is, isn't there? A sequel to the film was announced during its release, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, 2024. <laughs> so next year, we may just get a sequel. We might. And if Tigger and Al and all of them come back, that'd be sweet. Well, definitely not Tigger. As long as Tigger's ass is still owned by Disney, <laughs> Disney's never going to let anybody do a horror movie. Your version. ass is mine! <laughs> well, nobody. Disney's never going to let anybody take ownership of Tigger as long as they've got his ass on copyright. Well, what about Al and Rabbit? See, that's why I don't know. I mean, again, I can understand if it was a... If it was a decision based on budgeting and you couldn't afford the acting budget, if you couldn't afford the makeup budget, because you have to make costumes and makeup. and I mean, they're using masks for two well, of the creatures. I wonder if they're going to have a better budget for the second movie. Well, here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, too, that I wouldn't be surprised with. Considering the fact that Piglet dies in this movie, it would be interesting if Owl or Rabbit came back for the sole purpose of Banding together with Pooh. For revenge? Yeah. Either revenge on Christopher Robin still, because we don't know if he actually gets away. He just runs away from Pooh. Well, here's the thing. Or if more people end up going to Hundred Acre Wood and getting killed. What? There's another animal they didn't mention in this that is actually quite famous. I used to have it as a stuffed animal when I was a kid. The kangaroo. Well, yeah. In, In the... Yeah, roo. Well... Hang on now. There were two kangaroos. Yeah, the mother and the son. Yeah, Kanga was the mom and Roo was the son. Yep. Oh my God, you still remember that? Yes, I do. Because oh, baby. Yeah. I don't know if those two were specifically for the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh series, but I think those were just characters that Disney probably made up because... Now, they were part of the book. Were they part of the book? Did you yeah. actually read the book? Yeah. They were actually pictures in the book of them. Okay. I was going to say, this wasn't like a Disney-made book. No, honey. Okay. Oh, my God. Just making sure. Anyway, well, I wouldn't um, be surprised if they have Kanga and Rue for the uh, horror movie then. Yeah, I mean... That would actually be very interesting. This movie was all kinds of weird. I mean, how did you feel about it? Well, like I said before, I, I tried to like it, but I wasn't really a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, the plot just seemed very um, weak. Just every, I mean, the killings were good. I liked the killings, especially what they were doing, you know, differently for each scene. But I just feel like all the characters didn't really have time to develop their characters throughout the movie. Yeah. It was so short. Yeah, like I, I really, I really could not connect with a character. I mean, I get like I couldn't really root for any of them. Right. I mean, and I think that too. Also, I think we don't really get enough time with some of these characters to really develop a connection with them. And I feel like those are very important, especially when you're watching a movie like this, and it's again very low budget, very small cast. You know. It just, it helps to make sure that you have enough time to introduce these characters and build a relationship or a bond between each other and with the audience so that the audience can either root for them at the end or 
at least feel sorry for them when they die. Because honestly, you know that Jessica girl, the one with the glasses? I was waiting for her to die. I took, I got one good look at this girl, and I'm like, I know she's not going to make it at the end of this movie. I'm just waiting for the when. And you could just tell. Right. And I'm like, when is she going to die? I'm surprised she held out as long as she did. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I waited this long for her character to die. Because it's like, it just made, it almost made sense to me in a formula sort of way. That in the order of which these girls were killed... Obviously, Lara was the first one to die because she didn't give a single fuck about being there. <clears throat> she was just there to have a good time, you know, pop some bottles, enjoy the jacuzzi, stream it live on Instagram she or whatever. Give a shit, yeah. Right. The ones who give the least fuck are the first to go. Mm-hmm. And the ones who give too much of a fuck are either the second or third person to go. Yeah, pretty much. The fact that she was, what, the sixth person to go surprised me. Mm. So. Yeah. I think the concept alone was a good one. I just don't think the writing kind of held up. And again, I don't want to say it like in a bad way. Because this is, again, this is a very independent movie. Very low budget. And I get that for what it was. This is like the movie that we got. I just think that there were some things about it that didn't hold up. I mean, if I were to rate this out of five, what would you say? Uh, I know we don't usually do like a rating scale, but if you had to give it a rating scale. One and a half. Really? Yeah. I would at least give it a three. Ew. It's not strong, but it's not like... Well, that's why I put it one and a half, because it's not a strong movie. It's very weak. Again, I think the writing wasn't there. Maybe maybe the second one might be better, but until then, we just, we don't know. I think the the writing and the continuity issues were what did it for me. I just didn't like those aspects. And again, I couldn't bond with the characters. So that's why I give it a 3 out of 5. I don't know if I'll ever do rating scales next season. But it, like I said, if, if I had to give this one a rating, it would be 3 out of 5. I know that sounds too generous to some people. But again, it wasn't that bad. It just wasn't written that great. Yeah. Anyway, that's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Such a weird fucking movie. It is a weird movie. I don't know. I just don't look at Pooh Bear the same mm-hmm. after this. Like, ugh. Right. I, I prefer Christopher Robin, the live action movie over this. Oh, the one with Ewan McGregor? Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Okay. Yeah. Say Ewan. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. I call Ewan. Well, the way his name is spelled, that's essentially how you would pronounce it, right? Ewan. Ewan? Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Colin. Not Ewan. You know what? I'm going to find a video interview. Do that. Do that. Look up a video interview and see how they pronounce his name. They said Ewan McGregor. I remember watching the interviews and they would say his name. I'm here to talk with Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that can, anyway. be, that can be the second half of your homework for next week. You get the notes that you want to do for your movie review, and then you tell me how his name is pronounced. Good, but You no. and I both had dental procedures this week. It sucks. I know, but yours, I mean, you had a whole ass tooth extracted. Uh-huh, and I kept it, too. Yeah, you still have it. Yeah, they let me have it. It's a decaying tooth. It's so <sighs> disgusting. But I had excess gum tissue removed from a laser or with a laser and it it just feels stiff. 
Yeah. And now my like the more I talk and move my jaw a lot, the more the right side of my jaw just starts to kind of like tense up. It feels like I chewed gum for like five hours. Yeah. But you know how like when you chew gum, you're you would chew gum for five hours. Well, you know how like when you chew gum, your jaw muscles really start to tense up. It's because when the action of chewing helps t- tighten up your muscles in your jaw. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean that makes sense. But yeah. But other than that, I think this has been an interesting episode, and we can wrap it up. Okay. You know, tie in a bow. Yep. Give it off to a Christmas present to everyone. Yep. Because that will be the next episode. And uh, other than that, thank you all for listening this week. I'm glad you enjoyed. I know you probably waited two weeks for this, but Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that you had to wait two weeks. We'll get another episode going in a week or so. Yep. And uh, it'll be the end of me. Mm-hmm. So, other than that, this has been the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying TTFN, ta-ta for now.